There is one question that all fans of the Sandman want to know, and I will answer that at the top of this podcast. It's good. I was so apprehensive as I clicked play on the preview episodes that Netflix sent us, and I was thinking, please don't be Cowboy Bebop. Please don't be Jupiter's Legacy. Please don't screw up this thing that I have loved for so long. And I should have had faith in Neil Gaiman because obviously he is one of the writers and developers of the show. And seeing what he did with Good Omens, which is also his own work, and even American Gods, he isn't precious with his own work. And I think what he does very well is make the necessary changes to adapt it for the screen. And he understands that a book is one thing and a comic book is another thing and a television show is something completely different. And with that in mind, what they've done in these 10 episodes is actually very good. It is a faithful adaptation of one of the greatest graphic stories ever told. And the first season, which is about 10 episodes and covers the first two graphic novels-ish, Preludes and Nocturnes and The Doll's House, actually does a really good job. Like, I am satisfied. I am happy with this. Yes, I have some nitpicks, and mainly I believe that has to do with budget. But for the most part, The Sandman is the show that we've been waiting for. Well, the show that you've been waiting for, because I've never read Sandman. (laughs) Right, and I think that's an important note, because I think shows like this, especially when things have such a faithful, epic following, I think their first task is to cater to the fans. Right. Because I think if you've let the fans down, then something is wrong. And you take Cowboy Bebop, for example. (sighs) I mean, what more is there left to be said about that show? It was just terrible on so many accounts, mainly because I think it didn't capture the spirit of what the anime was. Mm. Meanwhile, the greatest thing about Sandman is that it captured the spirit of the graphic novel. And we'll get into that in a second. But first, as someone who has never read a single page of the graphic novel, Bahe, yeah. one, did you like it? Two, did you have any trouble getting into it? No, I think that is quite important because for something that spans 75 over, yeah, like a lot of issues. I've lost count because there are spin-offs. There's the Death spin-off. There's the Dream Hunter spin-off. Yeah, there's a lot of Sandman. I've not read a single page, a single panel of the Sandman. I know that it is one of the icons of graphic novels, really. I think it has sort of earned that spot over the course of its lifetime. My thing was that I was concerned coming into this that I would be I would be left out. I was worried that this show would be too much for the fans, that it would be too much, I wouldn't say in the weeds, but too wink-wink, knowing nods and all that, that I would miss out on all the fun. You were apprehensive because you were worried that they would screw it up. I was apprehensive that they would forget non-comic book readers. I will allay those fears and say, as a TV show, the Sandman TV series works really well. You don't need any prior knowledge. You don't need to come into this having done homework. You don't need to read the comics. As a standalone 10-episode thing that lives on Netflix, it works remarkably well. I was completely on board. I was never lost. 
I'm chomping at the bit to meet the rest of the Endless. I'm annoyed that I've only met four of the Endless siblings. I want to see them all. I want to meet them. I'm on board. I am extremely excited for people to watch this. For people outside the realm of the comic book readers. Because if you have ever even heard of the Sandman, even if you haven't, I think you'll like this. If this is your jam, if that fantasy thing is your jam, I think this TV show hit it out of the park. So what is it about? Well, that is the hardest question to answer, right? Because to explain what the show is about, like what it is really about, is to spoil everything about the show. I can Mm. tell you what the sense of the show is. And I think that's important to know going into it. The Sandman is Morpheus. He is Dream. He goes by a hundred different names across many, many cultures. He is the Lord of Dreaming. And the show begins with him being captured by accident by a cult who was actually seeking to capture death because they want the power of immortality and the power to restore life. They accidentally capture Dream instead and they hold him captive for over a hundred years. In the comic books, they hold him captive for about 75 years or 76 years, something like that. But Mm. in the series, they wanted to bring it to the modern age. So the series is not set in the 90s like the comic book. The series is set in 2022. The story kind of kicks off from that point, from the point in which Dream of the Endless escapes his captors and what happens to his world, the dreaming, and also how his capture has affected our world or how it's affected Mm. humanity at large. What the show is about is actually really a celebration of stories. When you read all of the comics in the graphic novels, sometimes Dream himself isn't necessarily the prominent feature. The Sandman may not even be the main character of that story. It's Neil Gaiman telling telling us stories that involve dreams and desires and death and all of the things that make us human. But why I say to tell you what it's about would spoil it is because it's actually this incredibly complex narrative that opens up over all of these graphic novels and makes perfect sense when you've finished it. Like there is this huge narrative arc, this beautiful, intricate tapestry that only makes sense once you've read all of it. Right. That said, as you are reading little bits, they're all self-contained stories that are incredibly satisfying and moving and emotional and intellectually stimulating. And there are these editions of the annotated Sandman where, you know, someone has taken the time to kind of annotate all the things that Neil Gaiman has done. And it's insane. Like he mines (laughs) mythology and literature and all of these things to tell this complex story. Like one of the best stories in Sandman, and hopefully they get to this in future seasons, is a story where he kind of inspires William Shakespeare to write A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. It is so cleverly done. And I think the TV show manages to capture that spirit. Like as you are watching these episodes, you're thinking, "Mm, this feels like a bit standalone. Where's Morpheus? Where's the main character? But it all kind of makes sense in the end because at the end of the day, it is a celebration of stories. That's the thing to note going into this because sometimes some things can feel a bit disjointed, but it's the kind of thing that really pays off in the end. I'm sure this is in the comics and I'm sure this is completely what Neil Gaiman was trying to do. But I love that throughout the series, the idea of dream, 
Morpheus. Yes, it's about the dreams you have when you sleep, the process that your brain goes through when it's resting. But it's also about more than that. It's about all interpretations of the word dream. It's, yes. It's not just dream being where nightmares happen. It's about, you know, what you want to be, your future. And that I love. I love that it's that implication of interpretation of the word dream. There is a lot of beautiful storytelling in The Sandman. And again, you're going to just like look at me and be like, yeah, that's what the comic is. And I get that. Oh, no, not just that. But I think that is one of the strongest things about Neil Gaiman as a writer. His ability to weave these mythological tales, very, very powerful. And he's done it across all of his work. Neverwhere, American yeah. Gods, Sandman. It's it's what he's known for and it's what he does really, really well. I haven't read much Neil Gaiman. But I will say the ones I've read, American Gods, Anansi Boys, even the one he did with Terry Pratchett, Good Omens. Yeah, so good. You know what it is about Neil Gaiman's books is that I keep going back to them. I've read those books at least four times each. Yeah, for sure. For me, those three books represent the... It's that thing where we do where we put on a TV show, we just want to watch something comfortable, comforting, and something to just chew on slowly. And those books do that for me. And I feel like the Sandman TV show might get into that. I mean, the one thing I will say that I was, I want to say disappointed with, but in a year where Amazon is spending almost a billion dollars on the Lord of the Rings spinoff and HBO is spending almost half of that on their Game of Thrones spinoff, the Sandman doesn't feel like it's got that kind of money behind it. However, it doesn't hold it back because the story is so beautifully told. There are moments when the CGI feels like it could be a little better. It feels like if they had a little bit more budget, like it doesn't feel as premium as something like Foundation on Apple TV+. Oh, Plus. yeah. yeah like no. you watch Foundation, you're like, holy shit, they spent a lot of money on this. Yeah. That said, I'm willing to look beyond the jankiness. Like... Oh. The gargoyle looked a little CGI, but it doesn't matter because everything else was so everything else was so complete. Yeah, I think from an imagery standpoint, if you're just looking at the pictures that come up with no audio or you're just looking at clips without paying attention to the story, you're going you're, you're going to get a little sort of thrown off by this, right? Because again, it doesn't feel like a super premium streaming show. This feels a little like Shadow and Bone, but it's not important because the story that is being told is so emotional. It's beautiful. You mentioned those standalone episodes. I don't generally think this way, but I think the standalone episodes in here are some of the best. 24-7 is a beautiful story, well told, that fit the rest of the nine episodes around it. Correct. The Sound of Her Wings is beautiful. It's great. It's, it's one of the longer episodes, I believe, but... That was such a, uh, it was a great episode. I mean, the first half of the episode is one thing, but then the second half is a different thing altogether. And I thought that was great. It's also one of the greatest issues of the comic. It just works really well. Also because, you know, it's that moment when Dream is kind of depressed and he's trying to figure out what to do next because he's been locked up for a hundred years. And of course, he meets his sibling Death and they have a little conversation and it is just... So, so amazing. 
the standalone episodes are great. The overarching narrative kind of works really well across these 10 episodes. It's a very yeah. satisfying season, which leaves enough threads open for the next season should mm. it get renewed. And I think this one really does deserve to get renewed. I think budgetary things aside with regards to production, it feels like the show was also a victim of the pandemic. And you yeah. can tell in the way certain scenes were shot that they had to make compromises because they couldn't have a hundred people on set. The streets of London had to be shot at night when he's talking to Joanna Constantine because it feels like the streets of London would be empty at night. So it saves having to get all these extras and going through COVID protocols, right? I'm not sure if that was the case, but that's what it felt like. That said, Yes, some of those scenes feel a bit empty with regards to population, but it doesn't detract from the story that's being told. And I think it's all about the writing. And I think because the writing is so superb in this, I have to say a lot of it is lifted from the comics, like key moments. And there are certain key lines that are actually lifted directly from the comics. And they work very, very well. Right. Because of that, this feels satisfying and complete. There are two approaches to adaptations. And I think... One approach is to try and tell a new story based on an existing work, but you're capturing the spirit of it, but you're telling a whole new bunch of stories. I think The Sandman takes the opposite approach, which is it's a pretty faithful adaptation, but it makes the necessary changes to kind of modernize it. Mm. And also, I think, even change some things which Gaiman was not happy with in the comics. This was his chance to kind of it's a redo. Reconfigure certain yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mulligan. We saw them do it with the old guard as well, where the yeah. comic book creators were like, oh yeah, when we wrote the comics, there were some things we did. We thought, nah, we could do this better. And now mm. is our chance to do it. Yeah. I think all of that really works. The casting is superb. Like any British show, all the great English people will be in it. David Thewlis, sure. Stephen Fry, sure. Natasha Richardson, okay, why not? Like get <laughs> all the great English actors and just put them in. Yeah. But, but... Tom Sturridge, special shout out to Tom Sturridge, who plays Morpheus, who plays Dream. My God, he is fantastic. He is everything I imagined the comic come to life. And also, I think coming up with that voice mm. is the most important thing in this. Because yeah. obviously the voice is the one thing we can't hear in the comic. But when he speaks in the comic, it is a black sound bubble. Mm. with white text and it is all kind of jiggly his voice captures that feeling yeah no i agree i mean his voice worked for what i would assume that character would sound like and and i bring that up only because the sandman tv show has been in storytelling purgatory for a long time but in one of the early film adaptations being proposed that was going around was the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was supposed to be in it. And look, if Joseph Gordon-Levitt's producing and starring in The Sandman, he's not going to be a side character. He's not playing John Constantine. Obviously, he's going to be Dream. And I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I love me some JGL. But I think he would have fucked up this role. He may have been good at it as an actor. Actors act is what they do. But I don't know if I could get past the... Hey, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a black suit and a black jacket. And the baggage of his, his filmography is going to pull me out of having seen The Sandman. And I think having Tom Sturridge, who is a guy I don't see very often, but I thought he worked. He worked so well in this. I think the other important thing was that he doesn't suck the air out of the room when he's in it. That was very important, I think, because like you said, 
there are quite a few episodes where the stories don't revolve around him. And it's not we're not even talking about just the sort of bottle episodes. Even the episodes that he's in, the stories tend to not be around him because about halfway through the sh- series, the story sort of shifts its protagonist a little bit. And I love the fact that when he does appear, he doesn't doesn't suck the air out of the room. He's not, a, oh, okay, he's here now. Everybody sit up and pay attention. And his ability as an actor to support the scene, even if he's not the main people in it, is great. I love Tom Sturridge in this. There are quite a few changes in the show. Characters have been gender swapped. Characters have been race flipped. All of that stuff has been updated for the 21st century, if you will. However, it doesn't make a difference because it doesn't affect the stories that are being told because these are universal stories that could apply to anyone. So so if you're one of those Sandman readers who is very upset at the fact that Lucien is now Lucien and a woman, then also we can't maybe help you this is that, not la. the show for you. La. Maybe you're just an idiot. We can't help you with that. La. That's, that's, that's a you problem. <laughs> that, requires, that requires a lot of self-reflection. Also, also, it kind of undermines the entire message of the Sandman, which is change or die. So that means you clearly haven't read the book properly. Whenever people have those kind of, of arguments, I can empathize. I can see where they're coming from, right? But for me... I, I understand that because you're still not over the fact that Jason Momoa is Aquaman. I can't get I over the fact that Jason Momoa is Aquaman. But here's my thing. With regards to the Sandman, the writer of the, of the source material developed it is producing it, is heavily involved in it. If the writer of the comic who wrote it in 87, 88, 89 decides to flip a character's gender, it's up to him lah. You've got no legs to stand on. It also doesn't matter that Lucienne is a woman yes. because no, that doesn't yeah. define the character and her role and how she relates to Morpheus. So I think people just like getting upset for the sake of getting upset lah a lot of the time. I still think Jason Momoa is not my Aquaman. <laughs> there are a couple of cool voiceovers for you to pick up on. Patton Oswald plays Matthew the Raven. Very, very cool. Very, very funny. Very, very Patton Oswald. And this is what I meant with the Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing. I only see Patton Oswald. Even when I'm watching Modoc, I see Patton Oswald. I don't see Modoc. I think his voice is too iconic. Like even when he showed up at the post-credit scenes of Eternals. Yeah. I was like, ah, that voice, it's too iconic. It's Patton Oswalt. Unlike the other voice actor that comes in, he doesn't do enough to his voice or or the engineers don't do enough to his voice to, I wouldn't even say hide it, but play a role, play a character. Don't just be Patton Oswalt being Matthew the Raven. Oh, you didn't recognize the other voice. I did not recognize. So, I mean, it's not a secret because it's it's casting that has already been announced. But in a small part of Mervyn Pumpkinhead, Played by Mark Hamill. Mark freaking Hamill. I did. I literally just scrolled down the Wikipedia page. I did not pick it up on it. I did not. Because when up I on heard it. the voice, I was like, <gasps> "Oh, oh. <laughs> I think." And I think it's because I didn't watch a lot of the Batman animated series, so I don't have my ear tuned to Mark Hamill, the voice actor. I have it tuned to Mark Hamill, Star Wars. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and that's what I mean. I like that. I like when Mark Hamill does a thing, and he does a thing. It becomes. It's not just. Hey, look, it's Mark Hamill entering the scene with the pumpkin head. I also think that we finally, finally have the final word that it's John Constantine and not John Constantine or Joanna Constantine and not Joanna Constantine. Because across the WB, yes, the character 
is referred to as Constantine, starting from the Keanu Reeves film to the TV series, to his appearances on Arrow, even in the animated world, there was one moment, one moment in the big crossover episode, the CW crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earths, when they run into Tom Ellis's Lucifer and Lucifer goes John Constantine and he gets corrected by Constantine who goes, it's Constantine and Lucifer goes, I don't care. (laughs) So I think because Gaiman is involved in this, maybe I have been pronouncing it correctly all of my life when I read it off the page as John Constantine. (laughs) I always thought it was Constantine. Uh, But again, you're right. It's based on the Keanu Reeves movie, because that was where I first uh, encountered the name. Even in this, Constantine has been gender swapped, played by Jenna Coleman, of course, who is best known for Doctor Who, and she is fantastic as the character. She kind of captures the essence of what Constantine or who Constantine is. Yes. We've also got to mention Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, not to be mistaken for the Tom Ellis Lucifer. Like, in the comics, they are the same person. Hmm. But because Tom Ellis and Lucifer has had a long, long running TV series, both on network television and then eventually on Netflix, I guess when they were writing this show, Gaiman said in an interview that he felt it would be too difficult for people to disconnect that character from this one. Because in that show, it's a police procedural and he is solving crimes. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very different from the Lucifer Morningstar that you meet in this show. Yeah. And I think the recast was very, very smart. And uh, just Gwendolyn Christie just needs more stuff. She is too often cameos in too many things. Like she is so good in this. There's a beautiful thing that they do with her hair that I just could not take my eyes off of it because it's a very sort of classical interpretation of the angel thing right so it's got the it's got the short bob curly hair and it's just weird on her as lucifer morning star she's got a weird sort of almost unrealistic grin on her face half the time i for one Loved the gender swaps. I love the character of Joanna Constantine as opposed to John Constantine. And I think I think that was a very clever decision because it then distances itself from the John Constantine from both the DC comics and the DC TV universe. I also in some ways like that it's pronounced differently so that automatically in my head, I'm not thinking of the same guy. And that works well. And I think they had to, right? Because a lot of the original Vertigo comic being set in the DC universe had a lot to do with the DC universe. So John D, one of the characters who's Dr. Destiny, is in Arkham Asylum. But he can't be in Arkham Asylum in this because at least as far as we know, this is set in the real world and there isn't a Gotham City. And so even in the comics, when they talk about John D being captured, it's a single panel of him being knocked out by Batman. So clearly he's been captured by Batman. And in the comics, when Sandman, when Morpheus is going to recover his items, one of the three witches, the three sisters, tells him to go and speak to the League of Justice. And he's got to go and get information from the Justice League. So They've had to extricate all of that stuff out because obviously the WB has got different plans for their DC universe. 
And it's not like you can have Robert Pattinson show up and be like, hey, Morpheus, what's going on? In that sense, I think they've done well because Sandman always feels like its own adult thing. Very, very happy with the Sandman. I'm really looking forward to season two. I really hope it gets approved for it. I really hope it gets greenlit. And, you know, they make that very, very fast. And give them more money, Netflix. Yeah. Give Gaiman and Goya more money. You've got that, all of that Jupiter Legacy season two, Cowboy Bebop season two money is sitting around now that they didn't spend it on this, bro. Correct. And you know what? And you know what? They are much more disciplined filmmakers. All of these episodes are between 30 and 50 minutes. Yes. Which is fantastic. <laughs> Can I ask, and I, I, I just want to get your opinion on this. I felt like, again, not something I say very often, I felt like there could have, should have, would have been more episodes in this. Like, a lot of the things feel, I don't want to say they feel rushed, but I wish that there was an episode between certain episodes just so that I could get into it a little bit more. Like, I felt the ending with Rose sort of was very quick. Did you feel that? Do you agree? Do you think that they did right? Like, okay, quick example. You mentioned about the the episode where Dream meets death. I feel like I wish there should have been one episode before that just so that I get into Dream's mind a little more just so that I can figure, I can get more of the fact that he's sad and depressed and trying to find his way a hundred years later. I thought it worked because it was more of a slow burn in getting into his mind. So we see some of it when he's talking to death, but in the second half of that episode, which is very, very cool, yeah. when he's gone to meet an old friend, let's say, you learn more about who he is and why he is the way he is. Mm. And that was kind of how it played out in the comic as well, because Dream is a character that is disconnected from humanity. Right, and so right, right. we learn how that disconnect works and whether he learns how to connect more with humanity. And that's part of his arc in the long run. I didn't think it felt rushed. I actually appreciated the fact that it was as tight as it is. I think any more episodes in between might have added to the bloat. Right, right. Because okay. this one felt like it moved. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And it's been a long time since I've wanted to binge something on Netflix. But I felt like, oh, let's play the next episode and find out what's happening. Like, even with Stranger Things, I was like, two and a half hours, I am shattered. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Let's stop. I'll come back to this in two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. We highly recommend The Sandman. This is probably one of the best things Netflix has put out in a long time. And we think you will enjoy it, whether or not you've read the comics. And I think it must be said that this is one of those shows that I think will bring people to the comics. Like, I think after watching this, because the comics are even richer than this TV show, the kind of stuff that is in every panel of that comic is intense. And so if you like the world building and the myth making in this TV show, then I think you'll want to pick up the comics and read it. And I think that's the nicest thing you can say about any adaptation, right? That it brings people back to the original source material. Yeah. Like all of those people who watched The Lord of the Rings and then went and bought those books and went, why is there so much singing? I don't understand. Why is everyone singing? <laughs> Yes. 
Check out The Sandman. It is now streaming on Netflix. Let us know what you think. Are you a fan of the comics? Reach out. GogglerMY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.